0: Because this verse is the verse that began this process of discernment, if you will, or categorizing who belongs and who says they belong and who knows they don't. And in verse 46, he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Very compelling, captivating verse. And I share that with you because Jesus has an intent and a purpose and a vision for this church, for your life, and for the community around us. We began a couple weeks ago with this first four categories. I have pulled them off of the top ten here because we already covered them, but I want to recap those for you. They were talking about a non-believer, a partial believer, and a true believer's view on the Bible, creation, Jesus, and time. For a non-believer, the Bible's just a book. For a partial believer, it's uh, something that's pretty good to read. You might learn about how to live a better life for God. For a true believer, the Bible is food. It's daily bread. If Without it, we starve. For creation... A non believer says it's circumstantial. Science figured out its big bang that nothing decided to be something and then bang it happened. For a partial believer, they say, well, maybe God did, but we're still waiting on some verdict and evidence from science, and we just can't really know. But maybe God did. We think he did. He probably should. Did the Bible said he did, so probably the Bible's right, but I just it doesn't really relate to my life in any way, so I'm not gonna make a convincing Evidential decision. A true believer says this. God was intentional when He did it. And God alone made it. All of creation. He did it with the help of His Son, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it all came to be. That is what a true believer says. When they say about Jesus... A non believer said he's not relevant. He may be historical and proven fact that he lived and he died, maybe in resurrected, but he's not relevant for the world today, nor their life. A partial believer, I call them wannabes. Think they are, but not quite there, or they just do it for appearances. They know about Jesus, but they don't really know him. They know that he's the Son of God, they confess that but they don't really let it infuse into their heart and into their very essence of their being. A true believer says Jesus is their best friend, that He is their Lord, and that what He says is ultimate in their life. And they love Him. You see, non-believers like demons believe in Jesus, and they tremble. It's not enough to believe. You have to live and love. Because no demon loves Jesus. They know what he's going to do to them. And we lastly ended up with time. And this was a very important part of the message. This message is posted if you ever decide to look on Facebook or turning180.com for the podcast. People who are non-believers see time as living large for themselves. My life, I'm doing what I want, going to experience it to the full. It is what it is. That's all there is to it. For a, a wannabe believer, I dictate how I use my time. I spend some for God. I spend time in church. Spend time with family. I decide what I do with my time. A believer says, "I'm redeeming the days because, and the time because the days are evil." According to Ephesians five chapter. That is, is verses 13 through 15. It says, walk circumspectly and wise, redeeming the times, for the days are evil. So live in the faith. So, a true believer says that my time is no longer my time. It's God's time. I preached that two weeks ago. And within about ten days, I started calling it my time again. And then this Friday, I said, there's got to be a way to stop doing that. And I found it. Would you like to know a very simple way to make sure that your time is God's time and it's no longer yours? Here's what I did. I created a picture that I put on my phone because apparently my phone is connected to my hip most of the time. And every time I pick it up, I see these words. Whose time is it? Whose time is it? Is it yours? Do you say, "I I got no time? Or did you say, well, God didn't give me enough time? We all get the same amount, 24 hours a day, right? All of us. Our time and how we spend it is either our choice or God's. For a true believer, we no longer call it our time. I live on God's time now. Why? Because He bought me with a price and according to Paul, the life I live is no longer my own. Say with yours. Excuse me. (coughs) So let's move forward. Because I believe where we're at today, you're going to find yourselves a little bit too far to the left like most of us are. We want to look at a non-believer's view on prayer you think they even have one. <laughs> even though science concludes that if prayer is offered to people in the hospital, their healing is quicker. A non-believer says prayer is pointless. Who are you praying to anyway? Because that doesn't exist. It's just talking to yourself. However, did you know that hospitals encourage people to come in and pray for those patients because it does speed up healing time. And it does. It really does. Proven Scientifically, for those who are skeptical, prayer changes things. But a non-believer says it's pointless. What are they praying to? A partial believer looks at prayer this way. I pray occasionally. It is, after all, scripturally based and I should do it. And sometimes I have needs, or other people have needs, and so I'll pause and pray for them. It sounds good to say, "Yeah, I prayed four times a day: once in the morning when I woke up, once at night, and two of my three meals. I prayed four times." That sounds like we're going. How many times did you pray today? <laughs> the Bible says we should only pray one time. Did you know that? Once, once a day, all day long. (laughs) That's right. Pray without ceasing, always in all ways. Prayer. And people go, but how am I supposed to do my job? Do you understand prayers and just simply bowing your head, closing your eyes, and folding your uh, hands together? It isn't how you have to pray. Nowhere in Scripture does say you must assume. The still, completely, silent, dead, quiet, shut-eye posture. As a matter of fact, if I prayed while driving a school bus like that, there would be a lot more prayers offered after (laughs) I totaled that bus with kids on it. Uh Not allowed to text or use a phone while I'm on the bus, but prayer is legal. As long as my eyes are open and I'm not losing focus on what I'm doing. But here's a simple prayer that you can pray throughout the day. Thank you. God, I love you. That's a prayer. It doesn't have to be for an answer. A prayer is conversation. You already got crap. I say crap. Junk going on inside your head, but some of it is not good. I'm going to edit that out of it. Video okay, <laughs> but I, I say that because it is it's junk. It's you don't need it there. It's floating around your head, and it's like this. This is a typical driver, or so I've heard well, that guy just cut me off. You know they shouldn't have done that. Where'd they get their license? I don't know who taught them to drive. But I'm going to show them how to cut someone off because they didn't, you know, they cut me off. I'll show them. What if we prayed it differently and we're in a life of prayer and someone cuts off and goes, That person just cut me off. I wonder if they're in a hurry. I wonder if there's an emergency. I wonder if they don't really see people well. I don't know what's going on with the Help that person to drive better. Love them. Help me to love them. And, and And let me make sure that I give them plenty of room for grace and so I don't hit them. Or anybody else. Different kind of response, isn't it? But we are in control of our thought life. Did you know you're in control of your thought life? That you think about what you choose to think about, and you can choose it to be different at any given moment. If you say, but you don't understand when I'm angry, I see red, and I can only think about one thing. That is not true. Your thoughts do not control you. You control your thoughts. If your thoughts control you, I'm worried. Why? Because it means you're not in control of your own mind and your brain. And that's a problem. But prayer is a part of your thought life. You can say it out loud. I'm going to tell you a true story. And to this day, I don't understand why I didn't check the bottom line of two companies that I had who bid on a move from where I was at to a new location? First company came in, looked around, said, We'll move you for $1,500. Next guy came in, and he said, uh, Well, let's take a look at what you got. And I'd heard that the man was a Christian, that he sang in a gospel group. And uh, he came and walking around the house, and he's Under his breath, going, Thank you, Lord, for this day. And he's just singing little soft hymns as he's walking around looking. And he gets done with the bid and says, It's going to be about $2,000. And I said, Okay. And I took the two figures to the people who were going to pay for the move and they said, We want the lesser figure. But what we didn't look at was the price per pound, we looked at the total amount. The one who was praising God had charged 9.6 cents a pound. The other guy charged 12 and underestimated the amount of weight. So we paid more for the wrong one, in my opinion. They beat everything up I had. I had to replace a bunch of furniture and uh, I know the other guy wouldn't. But listen to this. To this day, I remember him walking around my house looking at things and I'm thinking, he's singing, he's not doing his job. That's what I was thinking. But what he was doing is he, was, he would pause his singing to ask me questions like, all right, do we need to pack this a special way? Is it, are we going to load everything for you? How's this work? And then you would say, okay. And you would just start going, thank you, Jesus, for the day. I don't know what all he was saying but because it was barely audible, but I knew he was singing to God in joy because he loved what he was doing. And to me, that's prayer. That's prayer. That's someone who's doing their job and praying at the same time. Yes, you have to do things that occupy your mind for work and other things, but that doesn't stop you from being thankful while you do so. For being gracious and loving at the same time. Why? Because it's a matter of attitude. And that we can control. So that's prayer. Grace. I don't know if you understand grace real well, but a lot of people seek grace in a lot of different ways. For a non-believer, the word grace is synonymous with the word mercy. If you don't know what I mean by that, it's like, should I be merciful to this person and have some grace on them, or should I not? Grace and mercy to them equal the same thing. And it's their control of whether they're gracious and merciful or not, or whether they decide to act cruel or not. It is that kind of perspective that a non-believer has. And a lot of people in church move over to that perspective, that grace equals mercy. It does not... For a partial believer, wannabe believer who says they understand theology will well, they call grace unmerited favor. It is not unmerited favor. It is what people say because it sounds nice. It also sometimes is synonymous with the word salvation for folks who just don't quite get what grace is. Amazing salvation, how sweet the sound. Amazing unmerited favor, how, it doesn't work. But but that's what we've been told. You've been told by partial believers how to live a partial faith. People who are in love with God know that grace is not mercy, and it's also not unmerited favor and salvation. But what is grace for a true believer? How is it understood? And this is where you're... When you check mark where you're at in that boxes, you might need to move this one further to the right. This one is God acting in and through me because God is grace. God doesn't give you favor. He gives you Himself. He doesn't give you things. He gives you Himself and all that He has with Him comes with it. God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a kind and compassionate. He's also a jealous God. You get it all, but He's also a gracious God. God doesn't go, here's a slice of part of me. I'm going to give you some grace and you'll be all right. He says, I'm coming to dwell in you. And that dwelling is God's grace being God acting in and through you. God isn't going to just stand there and go, okay, you need some grace, you need some grace, you need some grace. Okay, salvation over here. If you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, was that an act of mercy? No. Was it unmerited favor? Kinda. Was it an act of salvation? Kinda. But was it God acting to, do, to live in and through you primarily? Was God trying to have a relationship with you? through Jesus Christ on the cross. Absolutely. That's grace. It's God's action in and through you toward your heart to bring you into His kingdom so that you would be grace to the world. Just because you don't cut someone off in traffic who cut you off, doesn't mean you are filled with grace. It might mean you were merciful. It might mean you gave them favor, but it was not grace. Grace living in and through you said, there's no question in my mind that I'm offering grace at all times because I embody it. Because if, and this is important, if you try to say God gives grace, it's unmerited favor, and all this, it means it can end. But as long as God is alive and well and present in you, it is there. It is there. But, but if I do bad, God, is the grace gone? No, God is still there. You're still under and in Him. Therefore, grace. The New Testament says we're no longer under law. We're under grace. And God is grace. Just as the Scripture says, He is love as well. And so, a lot of us... Struggle with that, but how about this? It's amazing how God lives in me and moves through me. How sweet that sound. It saved a wretch like me because He's in me. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found because God is in me. That's grace. It's not something that God does partially. A lot of folks don't understand that, but I will tell you this grace is experienced in many different ways. God's grace is experienced even when you don't know who He is. They call that provenient grace. It's a grace that goes before you ever know Him from the time of conception to the time of saying yes to God. That's provenient grace sanctifying or excuse me justifying grace is the second grace that happens the moment you say yes God justifies you in Christ and from that point forward sanctifying grace which means God making you holy setting you apart for his work comes next that kind of grace experience is still all God doing the work grace is God in action (coughs) You could say, well, isn't love God's work in action? Can you take God apart and say He's this or this and not that or that? Or do you get all He is? You get all He is. And you can't handle it all, but He gives you it all anyway. So that's grace. The next one is spirituality or karma or morality. They kind of all lump together for me, and I'll tell you why. Because a non-believer sees the spirituality as kind of an optional thing. It's the physical, what they can see, what they can feel, what they can taste, touch, and hear, that is first. Everything is physically motivated by how they feel or how they want to feel. Non-believers don't say, well, i got a spiritual connection here with something because they just recognize what is observable. Now, I'm not going to sell it short and say that they don't meditate or uh, do things like that, but I will say this, it's not their priority. The priority is the physical body and all that it can experience in this world. And therefore, their morality is self-established. They become a morality unto themselves. In other words, if it's good for me, I do it. If it's not good for me, I won't. If it's good for my family, I'm doing it. A lot of believers think like this. My family, then the church. That's not the priority God puts. God says, God first. Others second. And you third. But God actually does it like this. He's first. There's no second. There is no second. God is first. And so, a way uh, they look at karma, I put that in there because some folks kind of have a karma-based faith. They say, if you do good, good stuff will happen. You know, this stuff that's happening that's going wrong in my life is because I did this thing wrong over here. It's payback. You hear that? Zig, zag, ying yang. All this mess is talking about how a non-believer understands how life works. If you do something bad over here, you get repaid bad over here because you did bad. If I do something good over here, then I need to be expecting something good over here. It's a a balancing of the scales, if you will, that you suffer for what you did wrong, you get blessed for what you did right. No way is that scriptural. No way is it even close to grace. Grace or love or forgiveness. A person who's wanting to believe but has struggled with it, they see it kind of like this. Spirituality means I pray. God's Holy Spirit guides me. I, um, I know that when I do things that upset God, God's upset with me and it's another karma type thing that if I don't confess it, God's going to be mad at me and, and, and God's going to shake His hand at me and His finger and tell me I did bad and I'm going to have to feel guilty. And 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 i got to go ask for forgiveness again because I did that. Some believers do it like this. They repent 50 times for the same sin because they still feel bad inside about it. They haven't been cleansed from a... Unclean conscience, an impure heart. Of course, now, morality for a partial believer is this. I do what the Ten Commandments say, and sometimes I slip, and I try to keep, you know, what God wants as much as I understand it, but if I'm alone, all bets may be off. Because if nobody but God sees it, I'm not worried about it right now. Y'all ain't saying that's true. But it's true. Most believers think as long as it's a Sunday morning, they have to act a certain way. But Monday through Saturday, they can live a different way because they can ask for forgiveness or nobody has seen it and therefore it's all right. Nowhere does it say that in the Bible, that you can live halfway one way and halfway another way. They call that lukewarm. God said He'd rather you be hot or cold, be one thing or another, not try to be two-faced and both. You walk it, you talk it. You talk it, you walk it. Why? Because otherwise people who see you in an activity you would by no means want anybody else to see doing or that you would want to see made public are going to see you as hypocritical. I give you a lot of names of televangelists that messed up, that people used as reasons to discredit church and God. Matter of fact, I don't know if you heard the news this week, but... Uh, Freedom from Religion Group. Have you heard what they've done? They've taken a full-page ad out in the New York Times, I believe it was, and it says this, the Catholic Church knew about all the problems with the priests doing all those horrible sexual acts to those kids and turned their head. Therefore, we conclude You need to become atheist. That's what it says. You need to become atheist because of the way some corrupt people live their life and hid it. And you know what? People are going to say, why did the church cover it up? Why didn't they come confessing and asking for healing and mercy and forgiveness to find grace in time of need? Because... Of the shame. But now the shame is bigger. Because what is done in the dark, Scripture says, will be brought to the light sooner or later. So, a partial believer says, I'm going to have these secret sins and just between me and God, maybe, maybe a couple other people, but church not going to know about it. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness for it because I don't want to stop. That's partial belief on that. But a true believer says this about spirituality. And maybe maybe you're the kind that says, yeah, I'm religious. I go to church. <laughs> I pray. I read the Bible. I'm religious. Here's what a true believer says. It says, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And I'm under conviction. Not condemnation. I'm trying to live my life with Holy Spirit power. Not my own choices, but His that if God doesn't lead me to it, I'm not going to do it. My time is not my own, it's God's. And I'm going to live it for His glory and His kingdom. How many of our lives would have to change in significant ways or even minor ways for that to be true? I'm not asking for you to show your hands. I'm just asking you to say, where are you in this truth? true believer doesn't believe in such a thing as karma or luck. You are blessed. God has chosen you, called you, knows your name. That is not karma. That is a blessing of God that He knows you. And amidst all the things that He could be taking time to do in this world and in this life, He chose to call you, to love you personally to create you and refashion you like Jeremiah saw with the potter's wheel. Spirituality for a true believer not such a thing. Don't have a spirituality. I don't even have a physicality. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my friend. The Heavenly Father is my Father. The Holy Spirit is my helper at all times. I have a relationship. It's not religion. It's not rules and conduct and what I should and shouldn't do. It's about a loving Father who loves me and shows me how to love Him back and others in the process. That's not spirituality. That's not religion. That is living for God. It's a way of living. (laughs) Not a way of thinking or considering or a perspective. And the last one I want to look at this morning is confession. And the last one we want to hear about is confession. Truly, it really is. But it's the first one we need to talk about. We don't ever talk about it. But I'm going to do it this morning for a couple of minutes as a part of the end of this message. Confession. A non-believer says, Oh, no. No, I'm not uh, exposing myself. I'm not turning myself over. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. Confession? No. No one knew about it. I got it covered. I can scapegoat somebody else. I'm not confessing a thing. Keeping my side of the street clean as far as the world knows. You expect me to tell others what I do with my time? That's personal. If you're ashamed to tell someone about what you do with your time, you're doing right it's personal. It's between you and God. You need to get it right. Very personal, and God takes that stuff personally. Very personal. What does a partial believer think about confession? Well, you know, I said I was sorry for my sins. I confessed I was sorry. (laughs) I apologize to God. And any time I think about it, I'll ask Him to forgive me again, you know. Uh, But the Bible doesn't say that that's what we're supposed to. It says to confess our sins one to another. I did not make that up. It's James 5, 16. You can look it up. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession brings healing, not sickness. Confession brings restoration and hope and joy. I mean, here's the problem. is What we see is when people confess is other people are judging them. Blaming them. They're not taking the log out of their own eye. They're looking at the speck of the person's eye who's confessed. But you know what the church is supposed to be about? When someone comes up broken, we're not supposed to beat them up. They're saying, I have a problem with this thing, and I keep can't stop, and I hurt, and I break, and I'm crying and, and, and devastated by this, and I can't seem to get past this. We're not going to go, well, you don't need to be in church anymore acting like that. Can't believe you say you're a believer. No, what we say is, can we come around and support you, encourage you? How can we help you to move forward in your life? This is the church's response to a confession. But what happens is, we ostracize. We alienate people. We remove them from our circle of whether they're going to be influential in our life or other people are going to think we're with them. Because bad company ruins good character. Actually, The truth is that's not bad company. I'd rather someone tell me the truth than hide it. To expose themselves rather than waiting for the day of judgment and God do it. Mm -hmm. Or they find out in the newspaper of New York Times. (laughs) Or one of us being a reason someone doesn't come to church anymore because we did something to hurt them but we're not going to confess it. We're going to keep it hid. We're responsible for what we say and do, but if we don't confess it before God, say, God, I did this, what can I do? Even the psalmist says, search my heart, know my ways, try me and see if there's any wicked ways in me. Search me. But we don't need to go that far, most of us, to find something to confess. To one other person, doesn't say the whole church, one other person. I, I have a confession, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this, I keep failing and falling back in this, and I just it's gonna affect my Christian walk. Will you help me please? But a non a partial believer says, no, 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 I'm never telling anybody that, you know, I'm taking that to the grave. <laughs> Tell your true story. I know several people who've said I was said I was gonna take that to the grave, but I shared it with a person. I feel alive again. don't have to carry that burden anymore. Someone who loves you will listen and support you. But here's what a true believer says about confession. Yes, please. Yes, please. Just give me someone I can trust to share it with who knows what to do with it, who knows how to understand it, and brings me to the foot of the cross and helps me find mercy and grace in time of need. Confession says, I have a need. As a church, we're not good at it. We look over at the Catholics and they go to weekly confession or however often they do that. And we say, well, you know, that's that's what they do. Therefore, we don't have to do that because we're different. And that's just not us. That's them. They confess. We're not supposed to do that. I'll tell you the truth. I've been to Catholic confession. He asked me how long it had been since my last confession. I said, years. And he goes, ooh. <laughs> he didn't ask me if I was a Catholic. He asked me how long it's been since I confessed. And he went, ooh, like, you must be hurting. Not, you're bad for not. You must be hurting because you haven't. And we do. We hurt spiritually, inside, in our hearts, in our walk with God. If we carry that junk around, then we keep being unwilling to confess. We, as a church, last time I spoke, I asked to call us to repentance. To take the days of Yom Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Kippur, to do that. Because you struggle with sin or an area in your life does not make you bad. Do you understand? That's karma, religion. It's not grace of God or a God of grace that sees things that way. You're not broken irreparably. You're not unforgivable. What Jeremiah tells us in chapter 11, I believe, it. He says, all you have to do is desire to be clean, and I will do the rest. Did you ever read that verse before? It doesn't say that you have to be clean. It says all you have to do is desire it. And God will take care of the rest. You say, God, just, you do the work. I don't know how. So once again, I ask, are oh, you far to the left, in the middle, on the right? And I promise you, there's not been a confession service here in this church since I've been here. Not one. there been some stuff confessed, but it was about somebody else. <laughs> not about ourselves. We don't tattle on others unless it's our gain that makes us look better. But we don't confess on ourselves because we don't want to be judged. We need a safe place for that. And that's my prayer. This is a safe place where we can pray, experience God as grace to find true relationship with Jesus Christ in a place where we can be who we are without reserve and know we're not going to be brushed aside. That's the kind of place this church is called to be. I don't have room to judge anybody. I poured it out two weeks ago. I asked for your forgiveness about that. And now I put it on my phone so I won't forget. The Bible says tie it on your uh, tassels, on your robe. Put it on your front door, your mantles, everywhere you look to remember who you belong to. Because we keep forgetting. And we keep going the wrong direction because we need God's help. All you have to do is desire it. There are ways to get that done once that happens. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, uh, I know the days of which we think our country is going to get payback for all the wrong it's doing and in disbelief and walking away from you that that day of righteous judgment is going to happen real soon because we think that you are a God of karma, that the bad that this country is going to do is going can bring it to judgment very soon. But you're very clear that judgment's withheld because of you, our God of grace, a God of love. And you want all to come to repentance, to salvation, to life in you. And Heavenly Father, it starts with each individual. And we are each one called to that repentance. So, Heavenly Father, may it be the cry of our hearts this morning that each person here would say, I desire to be clean. God, I desire it. I don't care what the world around me does or says or says about their busyness or their time. I desire it your way, not mine. Help me get there. Help me get there. Heavenly Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, that each one of us would pray that. Right now. Amen.